0: Good morning. Before we get into our message time, I have a song that I'd like to share with you, and I wanted to prep it a little bit. It's by a rapper, uh, by Shylin. Now, I understand some people rap is not your thing, but um, I want to want you to see. We have the lyrics posted for you because I believe this this rap um, is really addressing the topic and the subject that we're going to be delving into today. So I'd encourage you for the next four minutes to really see the lyrics as we set this up and see what our Lord has for us uh, in this very important text today. So we'll cue the video, please.
1: One, two, one, two. Yeah. Special dedication to my brothers and sisters on the great continent of Africa. Saints in Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Zimbabwe. Don't be deceived by what America's sending y'all, man. Let me begin while there's still ink left in my pen. I'm set to contend. For truth, you can bet we'll offend. Deception within. The church, man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. Yeah. And I ain't really trying to start beef. But some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. And cats it mean when you criticize them. But Jesus told us Matthew 7, 16, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that this heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TVN. that channel is overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful, they lie into people. Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked. Ask yourself, how can they not be convicted? Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket. And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type, because some of the statements are right. That only prove that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teaching can't be believed without a cult. Loss. The lie is you can achieve a crown without a cross. And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block. Even unbelievers are shocked how they feast in the flock. It should be obvious then. Yeah, I'll explain why it's sin. Peep the Bible listen. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. It talks about how the desire for riches has left many souls on fire and stitches, mired in ditches. Tell me, who would teach you to pursue as a goal? The very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul, huh? Yet they're encouraging the love of money. To make it worse, they've exported this garbage into people. Other countries, my heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming, You wanna know what all false teachers have in common? What? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money, money is. is Jesus is not a means to an end. No. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin, and that is the message forever. Never I yell down. if you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Talk to Joe let them know. Grepple Dollar is a false teacher. Well, too well. Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. Talk to them. TD Jakes is a false teacher. Count of Troy. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Let them know. Paula White is a false teacher. Use your discernment, let the Bible.
0: their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Second Peter two, one through three. Little different. It's not how I normally start off my messages, but uh, I I felt it was very very p- proper because of the depth and the deception. Uh, that this subject merits. Um, I have seen too many brothers and sisters in Christ be destroyed by this. And uh, today we're going to look into this, not just we're going to really rip apart what Jesus has for us. And he is showing us that if we are citizens of his kingdom, we need to realize that if we're walking on this narrow path, which this previous uh, passage or uh, section spoke about, that there are going to be people trying to get us off the path. And we have to be able to see, as, as he said there, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Just because it has the title Christian doesn't mean it is. Just because it's on the shelf at Walmart doesn't mean it's Christian. Just because it's on TBN does not mean it's Christian. I have learned in my time that people are publishers, people are printers, people are producers, but they're not necessarily Bible students. And they think if it's got a Bible verse attached to it, then it's Christian. Let me say right now, that's not always the case. Demons know the Bible very well. Remember, Satan came to Jesus and quoted him scripture. The book of James says to the demons, you believe, or to the people, he says, you believe that God is one, so do the demons, and shudder. What does Satan do? He likes to take truth and interject it with a small lie and make it a bigger lie. So today we're going to rip into this and really delve into this very important topic as we learn what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. And my hope is to be your spiritual TSA agent. This uh, past Friday, I flew to um, Massachusetts, Boston. I had a meeting out there, and uh, when I was getting ready to get on the plane, I was so happy that I was just really carrying something light. And I, I could do my check-in, got my ticket, but you have to go through this maze. If you've ever flown, you know what I'm talking about. You go through all these things to go through security. And what do you have to do? I mean, everything. I mean, pre- pretty much, you could take everything out of your pockets. You got to take off your belt, put it in the little tray. you got to take off your shoes. Put it in the tray. Can't have anything in your pockets. And then um, they put your stuff on a conveyor belt and pull it through. And they they analyze it. And they want to make sure that you're not carrying anything destructive. Right? And then you step up and put your feet in these things where they have this machine that you're supposed to step into. Lift your arms above your head for three seconds while this thing scans your entire body to make sure that you have no bomb material. Nothing destructive that could hurt anybody. And then after that, they motion you out. And if your stuff passes through the other scanner, you're fine. Well, I I, I brought this fan that I travel with because I like to sleep with his buzz. And so they pull me aside and they go, we have something that we need to look at. We need to look at your bag. I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. Whatever you need to do. He pulls it out and he said, we saw it on the scanner and it looks scary. (laughs) It looks really scary because it's got like eight batteries in it and it's got all these wires and, and I'm like, you know, it's fine, it's a fan, but check it out, do what you need to do. And he, he checks it out, and then he pulls out a wand. He's got this little wand, and it's got like, a, I don't know, it's like OxyClean pads on it or something like that. And he, he, he rubs it all over the bag to see if there's any bomb residue, bomb residue and then they, they see if it changes color. And he goes, you're fine. He puts it, hands it back to me, put my belt on, shoes, and I get on the flight. Now, I, it can be frustrating to be detained. Some people are like, oh, I'm happy. Detain me all you want. I'm fine. I got nothing to hide. I want to feel safe on this plane. I don't want to have to worry about getting on a plane, and have to worry about uh, anything blowing up on the plane. I want to meet Jesus, just not that way. Okay, um, but as I'm thinking through, and I and I I, I want today to be your spiritual TSA agent as we go to the Word of God and we take all of the things that we have taught, all of the people that we read, all of the people that we listen to, and we're taking it off and we're putting it through the scanner. And then we ourselves are going to examine our own theology and step right in and let God's Word totally scan us to make sure that we don't have any destructive teaching in us or that we're advocating. Why? Because spiritual um, false teachers and false teaching is just like that contraband that it gets through. It could be deadly and blow up the plane. I have seen this blow up churches. I've seen this blow up people's lives. This is not something to joke around about. This is very, very serious. That's why Jesus has these words, by their fruit you shall. They are wolves. He lays it out. They're there to, to destroy and take people out. And he says, I want you to be able to recognize them. And today, my hope is we go through the scanner of God's word and we let God's word speak to us about what we know, what we understand, what we're reading, what we're listening to, and what we're doing, what we're eating for our spiritual life. Because God, our, our, our health, spiritual health depends on it. And God's glory depends on it as well. So let's let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time as we go through this, go into our message. Father, I pray that you speak to us. Help us to lay ourselves uh, on your conveyor belt, to lay all of the things that we do and have. And Lord, scan us by your Spirit through your Word as it's looking into the depths of our heart and our being. Lord, if there's any false way or false teaching within us, please bring it to the surface that we might uh, might be forsaken and removed from our lives, that we might return to you and the purity and devotion uh, of, uh, of Christ and what it means to follow you and serve you. So be in our time together today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus is, this is a warning for false teachers. And I, I really want us to see, first of all, why he gave that to us and what he's saying. I'd like us to jump right in in verse 15 beware of false prophets. Now, this word beware is a present, impaired, active. It means turn around. Something's going on right now. You need to see and look. Turn one's head to pay attention, to give heed, uh, to be on guard, to give heed to. The idea is, is being aware that there is false teaching all around us, and that we are, are in immediate danger, and we need to see why. And his, this warning of false teachers is meant for us to be protecting the flock of God. That's the first point I want you to write down. Protecting the flock of God. He talk, talks about sheep. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. He is our shepherd and that he cares for us. He, he, uh, he is there to protect us, to make sure and lead us into those green pastures and beside the still waters, as the, the psalmist says in Psalm 23, that he is there to nurture and protect us and keep us away from these spiritual predators we need to be protecting the flock now why first of all he says here that they are they are wolves in sheep's clothing and it, the idea is is that they are dangerous dangerous false teachers are dangerous they are spiritual terrorists that look like us that sound like us remember satan masquerades as an angel of light he knows, the, he knows what to do. He knows how to look. He knows the words to say. He knows how to take twi- teaching and twist it. Just twist it ever so slightly. And it changes the entire meaning of it. So he's saying they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are dangerous. But they are also deliberate. They're deliberate. That's why they come in sheep's clothing. They didn't just show up and go, hey, I'll put the sheep's clothing on. They came in sheep's clothing. This is a deliberate deception that they have turned from the word of truth. And that people have rebuked them and they said, no, that's not the way I'm going to go. They are deliberately leading and misleading, excuse me, the flock of God. Which means that they are also deceptive. They're deceptive. Satan wants to get into your life and into the church and just turn you ever so slightly from your pure devotion to Christ and get you off on other things and not on Jesus. So he is a deceiver and he longs to use the word of God for his own benefit and turn people away. Now, if there is a sheep among, I mean, a wolf among sheep, what's going to happen? What's the wolf going to do? He's going to eat some sheep have some lamb a little mint sauce on the side he's all good you know why because false teachers jesus is showing us that they're deadly that they are deadly now in 2006 i was uh, pastoring in new england i had a man come to my church in our evening service by the name of manuel vargas manuel was a nice man He uh, was in his 40s he never married he didn't have any children And he was really struggling. He was struggling because at the beginning of the year 2006, he was watching Joel Osteen on television. And Joel Osteen stands up in front of the entire congregation and he goes, We proclaim 2006 is our year. We proclaim it by faith that God wants to bless and prosper us. So the guy goes, I prayed that prayer. And then I lost my job. And then I, I lost my strength. He had a, I think he had a stroke. Something physically happened to him that he couldn't do his job anymore. And he was just going down in depression. And he's like, God said he would, he would bless me. And he kept going down and down. We tried to get him help, tried to get him help. And finally, he decided to take his own life. He committed suicide. And he lo- And I look back and I blame that. Because he had thought... That God was going to do this. He claimed it by faith. Well, he was listening to a false teacher. Now, now, again, people might say he has the biggest church in the United States. What does he do? I like his smile, and he's got a book. And, yeah, so? I'm sorry. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And the Bible doesn't say that we can proclaim it year by faith. It doesn't say anything about that. You never see Jesus doing that. You never see the disciples do that. You never say that God's always going to prosper us. Jesus had no place to lay his head. See, it's it's this understanding of your best life. God wants to bless you, wants to bless you. And it caters to our sinful nature. And I love what Shailen said. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's true. We have this American dream where we can have the car, we can have the comfort. And God wants to give that to us. And it's being exported to other countries by the way, when I was in India, when I have traveled in Africa, I have seen it firsthand, where people think that I'm going to lay all my my stuff on the altar, and God's going to bless it, and they're living in poverty while these so-called preachers are living in prosperity. Now, for them, it is prosperous, because they're living off the backs of poor people. It is a deadly thing, as people are dying in the midst of their sin, they're fake. They promise life, but they don't. It's like when I was a kid, my grandparents had this beautiful bowl of fruit on their dining room table. I remember coming in, I was a kid, I was, just got done playing, and, and one of the rare times I wanted fruit and not candy. And I went to it, and I grabbed it, and I took a bite, and, and it was wax. This is what heretics do. They say, here, here it is. It's great, looks good. Try something. And it's deceptive. And it is deadly. It's unfit for consumption. That's what Jesus is describing today for us. See, in Israel, there were some buckthorn bushes that produce blackberries that look like grapes from a distance. And certain thistles have flowers that appear to be figs. But when you get up real close, you can see that what they, they really are. They're, they're unfit for consumption. They are deadly and deceptive. God can't stand them so much that he will destroy them. Look at verse 19 with me. Look at verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's the idea of hell. He's showing that these, you think that they're going to be great, but they are going to hell. They are going to be destroyed. They are that deadly. Now, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 if you have a Bible. If you have one of those pew Bibles, I want you to turn with me to page 972. Galatians chapter 1, because I want to show you how seriously God takes this. In Galatians chapter 1, I'll be reading from verse 6 through 9. Uh, the verse, the reference, and the page number is up on the screen for you. Paul, by the Spirit, writing to the church at Galatia, says, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different co- gospel. See, it's a totally different gospel. It presents Jesus... But it's totally different. Looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, but it ain't Jesus. Remember, Satan's trying to get the antichrist, one who looks and sounds like Christ. He goes on. Not that there is another one. There's not. Not a true one anyway. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to Preach to you, let him be accursed. Anathema. Go to hell. That's how serious God takes this. It is that serious. As we have said before, so now I say again, if someone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Accursed. See, but how do we, this is a very serious thing, but how do we recognize them? Jesus says we will, in verse 16, that we will recognize them by their fruits. Our grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. And then he says again in verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So what I want us to do is we're going to be testing their fruits. And I want to give you some ways that we can test their fruits. Now, I'm going to give you three points, and I have under the first point uh, a series of questions, and I'm going to go through them rather quickly. You're not going to have time to write them all down, but I have gone through almost every passage in scripture that has referenced false teachers, and these are the questions that I've come up with, and of course, being the illiterate freak that I am, I put them all in D's, (laughs) okay? So first of all, we need to test them by the Bible. Their beliefs by the Bible. We need to look at the Word of God. Now, I say that it, full understanding that they use the Bible. But they use it out of context, without considering who the audience was. They take it out, and rip it out of context, and then apply it to you, and usually in such a way that it appears to our flesh. But we need to make sure that we are asking a series of questions, even as we are examining um, what they're saying. First of all, do they distort the word? Do they distort it? They distort the word where they're not emphasizing the full counsel of God. Do they even just completely depart from the word of God? They say, we don't need the Bible anymore. We're going to look to this. We're not, we're not going to look at God's word at all. Or do they just disobey the word completely? In the clear teachings of what Scripture says, they depart from it. Do they demand adherence to things in addition to the Scriptures, usually themselves? There, uh, there's a couple that goes to our Sugar Grove campus where they were caught up in a cult where the pastor controlled everything to the point where he gave them new names and he told them who they could marry and who they couldn't. And then they picked the person's spouse for them and then after they had kids, they named them. The pastor did. I don't want to name your kids. You can name them after me. It's okay. Okay, just to the side there. All right? All right. But this is, these are the things that they do: demand adherence to things in addition to the scriptures. Do they devote themselves to myths? Da Vinci Code. Great story. Read the book. Great story. Completely untrue. But yet people believe it, like it could be true. Even the guy that wrote it, he's like, "It's not. It's historical fiction. Historical fiction." But I know people that left the church over that. But it's fiction. It's fiction. The more that you read into it and study and look at it historically, you can see that it's complete fiction. Do they themselves to myths? Um, to myths, excuse me. Do they declare themselves as special authorities? That they are the interpreters? Charles Taz Russell. Okay? The founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses. He, You have to read the Bible that he actually wrote. You know that? They won't look at the normal Bible Jehovah's Witnesses do because they believe it's polluted, but because it's their founder, they'll read that book. It's a clear, false teaching. Do they deny core doctrines? Do they deny the deity of Christ? they deny deny the virgin birth? Do they, they deny the second coming of Christ? Do they deny the Bible is the word of God? These are core doctrines of the faith. And I'll tell you right now, there are people out there with PhDs that deny it because they have doctrine in their name. People listen. I've been in academia enough to know that if a person has initials by their name. It doesn't mean they're that smart. It means that they got through all the classes, and they could write something pretty, you know, passable. Do they devise new doctrines? They come up with new things that, oh, it's been hidden for a long time, but now we're, we're going to triumph it now. Wait a minute. Somehow you think it's, God has allowed it to be missed for 2,000 years? It's not new doctrines. If it's a new doctrine, then it's a false doctrine. Do they denigrate Christ as the only means of salvation? Meaning that there's other ways? Oh, I believe this is a way, but not the only way. Let me tell you, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth, a way, or a life. So Travis, are you saying that all these people are headed to hell? Yes, that's why we evangelize. Well, that's pretty arrogant to say. I I myself had to repent of my sins and receive him as Savior. I'm not better than anyone else. I'm not. I recognize my sin in need of a Savior, and so do they. That's why we evangelize, because we care about them. Well, that's pretty arrogant to say. I'm, I'm not the one saying it. God is. He's demanding people repent. And I had to repent just like they do as well. And he is not one way. He is the only way. The only way. Do they depend on new revelation, where they themselves are the authority? Okay, Joseph Smith, freaky dude, right? He gets the golden tablets that he puts in a hat, and then he's the only one allowed to look at it to interpret it. First of all, that's just weird. That's really weird, okay? And why can't anybody else look at it? (laughs) He's the only authority, But see, he sounds enough like Jesus. They talk about Jesus. They refer to Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. It is not the Jesus of the Scripture. Now, do they despise authority? They don't like accountability. They're not willing to listen to when someone rebukes them. Are they living and defiling the flesh? Meaning that they are proclaiming one thing, but yet their life is full of adultery and broken marriages. I mean, I'm looking at some of these false teachers. After they become believers, they got broken marriages left and right. Something went wrong, and yet they're still proclaiming God's word. What? I'm looking at Paula White. I'm looking at a lot of these different teachers. I could go through one by one, and show you Juanita Bynum, Creflo Dollar. I mean, these guys are abusing spouses. Uh, Eddie Long, is how these, all these young men come out from his church that he was having supposed homosexual relations with. And yet he's up there preaching. Are you kidding me? What does God's word say? I'm not saying that a guy's perfect. I'm not saying that at all, that a preacher has to be perfect. But you can't have that complete contradiction in your life. You can't. Do they dazzle God's people with miracles? Right? There's people that out there that can do a miracle. It looks like a miracle. Like, they did it. They made the Virgin Mary cry. That's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the Virgin Mary on chips and sell them on eBay and become a millionaire. People do this. Like, oh, he made this happen, made that happen. It's false teaching. Do they develop doctrines on obscure passages? This is where you get serpent handlers from. People that are dancing around with snakes. This is a sign of our faith. No, this is a sign that you don't know how to read and interpret scripture. I don't know how else to say it, but they say, people, I mean, people will come and they'll say, oh, we have to take up serpents as a sign of our faith. What? I didn't see Jesus dancing around with a python. I mean, Seriously. Do they disapprove of, or do they disapprove things that the gospel endorses? They did tell you all the time, not, "Don't drink this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that." And the Bible says these things are to be enjoyed. These are false teachers, false teachers. It's the Bible that shows us who Jesus is and how He wants us to live, and we must make sure that we are not just isolating certain passages that we are looking at the whole counsel of God's word. But if we ask these questions, we will see more clearly who these people are. For example, Joyce Meyer, and I know there's some people here that love, him, love her, but after getting into her teachings, I'm appalled. She says that Jesus stopped being the son of God. She said that Jesus was born again, that he paid the price for our sins in hell, not on the cross. See, I just isolates it ever so slightly. Sounds good, but it's not. Jesus didn't die. It wasn't on the cross that he paid for sin. He went into hell, and that's where he did it. It's bad. It's totally off of Scripture. that She says that we are little gods, that when Jesus was literally on the cross, that demons were literally on him and laughing. Where'd you get that from? Myths 101? This is false teaching. False teaching. Or consider Co- Kenneth Copeland, who said that God has six fingers on each hand. Who says that God wills everyone to be prosperous, to have no one be sick, and that suffering is never of God. Secondly, we must make sure as we're doing this test, not just looking at the beliefs by the Bible, but their preaching by their practice. Preaching by their practice. If they claim to be agents of God and we look at their personal lives that they might have a big giant, I mean, and they have big giant jets or multi-million dollar mansions. If we see their marriage as a mess or them going against something completely that they have advocated somewhere else, then we need to turn away. We don't want to be like them. For example, Benny Hinn has a million dollar parsonage in Malibu, California, right off the beach. Parsonage, which means it's tax exempt. Okay? Not only that, you've got others such as Kenneth Copeland. He's ripped into people for questioning his private jets. Or you've got other individuals, like Joyce Meyer has a $10 million corporate jet, along with a $20 million headquarters, finished with $5.7 million worth of furniture, artwork, glassware, and the latest equipment and machinery. She has a $23,000 toilet. $23,000 commode. Gives a new definition to the term, throne. Okay? Okay? A $14,000 bookcase, a $7,000 Stations of the Cross in porcelain, a $6,300 Eagle sculpture on a pedestal, all paid for by the ministry. And she says this, if you stay in your faith, you're going to get paid. And she goes, I'm now living in my reward. I think your reward's about to come. My reward's not here. And she's not the only one. There are several others and they're found everywhere. They're in churches and on Christian camps and conferences, colleges, books and blogs, denominations and have degrees. They've got websites and books for sale at Walmart. They're on retreats and on radio stations. And in movies and in magazines. They're everywhere. But when I look at a false teacher, and this is what I what I look at before I I examine someone, these are just personal questions that I ask myself, and I've been in this for a long time. So I've learned to determine a few things. Okay, this isn't in your notes, this is something that I look at. I want to know where did they go to school? What is their college? Now that doesn't mean everything, but chances are if they go to Oral Roberts, I've already got questions if they go to a school that's not accredited and they have a doctorate from it, I got major questions. Okay, if they, I also look at who do they hang out with? Who are the other teachers on their website that are known prosperity gospel people because birds of a feather flock together? Look at that. These are questions that we have to ask ourselves. Where do they go? What do they do? Now, again, I'm not saying that Good people can't come out of some of those places, and I'm not saying that just because they have a great school means they're perfect, because they're heretics that come out of my alma mater's. Right? But we have to be discerning and look at their, their, ask ourselves these questions and analyze it and not just receive everything that they say is gospel truth. We have to sift it. Now, next, we must make sure that we uh, look and test their admirers. By their actions as well. Admirers by their actions. What are they teaching and how does that play out? I want to share this with you. Um, In 2006, Time Magazine ran an article entitled, Does God Want You to Be Rich? And they chronicle this guy named George, excuse me, George Adams, who is um, a fan and devotee of Joel Osteen. And they say this, When George Adams lost his job at an Ohio tile factory uh, last October, the most practical thing he did, he thinks, was to go to a new church, even though he had to move his wife and four preteen boys to Conroe, uh, a suburb of Houston, to do it. Conroe, you see, is not far from Lakewood, the home church of mega-pastor and best-selling author Joel Osteen. Osteen's relentless, upbeat television sermons had helped Adams, he was 49 years old, get through the hard times. And now Adams was expecting the smiling, Texas twang, 43-year-old to help him boost back toward success. Success, not about Christ, not about following Jesus, success. And Osteen did, inspired by the preacher's insistence that one of God's top priorities is to shower blessings on Christians in this lifetime. And by the corollary assumption that one of the worst things a person can do is to, to expect anything less, Adams marched into the Ford dealership in Conroe looking for work. He didn't have entry-level aspirations, and he says this. Listen to this. God has shown me that he doesn't want me to be a run-of-the-mill person, he explains. He demanded to know that the deal, what the dealership's top salesman made and got the job. Banishing all doubt, he says, you can't sell a $40,000 to $50,000 car with menial thoughts. He took four days to retail his first vehicle, vehicle, a Ford F-150 Lariat with a leather interior. And he knew that many fellow salesmen didn't notch their first score until the second week. And he says this, Right now, I'm above average, he exclaims. It's a new day God has given me. I'm on my way to a six-figure income. The sales commission will help with this month's rent, but he hates renting. Once that six-figure income has been rolling for a while, he will buy his dream house. 25 acres, he says, and three bedrooms. We're going to have a schoolhouse. His children are homeschooled. We want horses and ponies for the boys, so a horse barn and a pond and maybe some cattle. I'm dreaming big because all of heaven is dreaming big, Adams continues. Jesus died for our sins. That was the best gift God could give us, he says, but we have something else because I want to follow Jesus and do what he ordained. God wants to support us. It's Joel Osteen's ministry that told me, why would an awesome and mighty God want anything less for his children? Make me want to vomit. God did not give his son for you to have a six-figure income. I'm sorry to say. But it is really something that people who are, have had setbacks because they start believing in themselves. Now, let me tell you right now. God wants you to believe in him. It's not about us. It's about him. They take our focus off self. See, that puts the onus back on self. It's very subtle. Jesus didn't die so that you could have a big house. I've seen too many people in poverty in other countries, and they're believing this, and they're not following Jesus. They're following money, like he said. If you believe that Jesus is the way to money, then Jesus is not your God. Money is. See, they put the onus back on self. We need to take it off of self. Self, we need to make sure that we are, are analyzing their ad, or admirers by their actions. Now, I want you to turn with me to page 969 or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12 through 15. Now, again, there are several passages that I can take you to. Uh, but this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he says this, and what I am doing, I will continue to do, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also dispi- disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Now turn with me to First Timothy. Chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. I only have a couple passages that I, or a few more passages that I'd like you to turn with me. Page on, that's page 993 if you have a Pew Bible. And Paul is writing to the young Timothy who's in ministry, and he says, Be on guard. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, when you see them recite the teaching of their founder, how they're going about living their life is a huge indication as to where their spiritual fruit is. And I'm going I'm to give you some, some names of people that are false teachers, not just in this movement known as the Word of Faith movement. There are t- people today that are known as red-letter Christians or progressive Christians that are also in the heret- heretical category. Um, I would give names such as Frederick Price, Robert Tilton, Perry Stone, Morris, and David Sorolo, and many more. And there's others historically. Arius, Pelagius, Marcion are just a few. There's Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Charles Tazzy Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Ellen G. White, the founder of Seventh-day Adventism. Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian science. And the prophet Muhammad, the founder of Islam, which, by the way, he had interacted with a heretical group of Christians known as Nestorians and developed many, much of his understanding of Christianity from the heretics that caused him to help create Islam. This is serious business. It's destructive, and it's turning people away from the pure truth of God's word. Then there's others like that are a little bit more subtle that are of this generation or in the last 50 years, some of folks who are older might know them, uh, Norman Vincent Peale. The power of positive thinking was his thing. Harry Emerson Fosdick, Marcus Borg, or even Bart Ehrman, who went to, by the way, Moody and Wheaton. While some of these are obvious, others are not so obvious because they once claimed to be part of the Christian or evangelical camp, but were, are so-called um, part of the emergent church. Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, Doug Paget, and Tony Jones. There are others like Rachel. Held Evans, and once evangelical turned progressive Christian, Tony Campolo. And they have labels such as red-letter Christians, progressive Christians are part of the emergent church, but now they are indulging things the Bible says clearly are sin, and they're saying that it's acceptable. See, God has given us this passage so that we might make sure that we are defending the faith. Defending the faith. I'd like you to turn with me to page, um, if you have a pew Bible, 1027. That's in Jude chapter 1. Verse 3 through 4, Jude chapter, or just Jude, actually there's not a chapter, just Jude 3, verses 3 through 4. Small little book in the latter part of your Bible, back part of your Bible. And Jude, by the Spirit, writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So how do we defend the faith? Well, the first step would be studying the Scriptures. Studying the Scriptures. If you don't have the Word of God and you're not reading the Word of God, then you can't tell. The more that you're familiar with the Word of God, the more that you will be able to see and discern... What is false? What is false it's like, for example, i don 't know if you ever walked to walk downtown Chicago. you see guys trying to sell Rolexes i've had that happen a few times. man, I can get a Rolex for twenty bucks, twenty bucks a thousand dollar watch. Well, of course it's not. I mean, I had some friends when I 'm on my senior trip in high school, we went to washington d c We were walking and one of my friends who's <laughs> He buys one. He's like, I got a Rolex. I'm like, really? Because the the, the the you can't tell time. <laughs> the little hand fell off. He's like, man. <laughs> I'm like, or it's like, uh, you ever see Father of the Bride? Anybody seen Father of the Bride? Steve Martin, Martin Short, right? There's a funny part in there because he gets a deal on his tuxedo, right? And Martin Short says, sees him and he goes, hey, go, he goes, uh, well, he, he, why are you wearing a nave blue tuxedo? That's what he says. And he goes, this isn't a navy blue tuxedo. He goes, this is black. He goes, this isn't Armani, honey. (laughs) It looked like it. It looked like an Armani. To him, he thought so, but it wasn't. It was a knockoff. It was a navy blue tuxedo at a wedding. Right? It's the idea that there is deception, but you've got to know the real thing. The reason that he knew it is he knew the real thing. He'd seen the real thing. And here, when we go to the scriptures, we have to find out what the real thing is. And the more that we go, the more that we see, the more that we can tell. Defending the faith, studying the scriptures, as Acts chapter 17, verse 11 says, it's in 926, but it's a small verse, so you don't need to turn there unless you want to. And it's uh, Paul, he is going to Berea, and he is sharing the word of God with them. And after they hear his teaching, they do something amazing. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word of God. Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they they looked to the Word of God. They studied the Scriptures to make sure that they were able to see clearly. Now next, we must make sure, after we are studying the Scriptures, we must make sure that we are praying for perspective. Praying for perspective. Ask God to clarify you, to give you wisdom to discern. The Scripture says in the book of James that we are to ask God of wisdom, who gives generously to all. To ask wisdom, to see clearly what is going on here. Pray for perspective. I find that when I go to the Lord in prayer, that sometimes I'm asking God to change things, but often I'm asking him to change me and my perspective, and he does. And he shows me more of where I'm off or where that is off. Next, we must make sure that we're listening to our leaders. Listening to our leaders, those that God has placed above us, to hear. Not, not as a means of controlling, but a means of protection. Protection. And give an account. Turn with me uh, in your Bibles, if you have one, hopefully, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, page 1, uh, 1010, 1010. And in this, um, we have the author of Hebrews, writing by the Spirit, saying, and I'll give you a moment to turn there, or scroll. Obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So if your leaders come to you and warn you about a, a, a potential false teacher, it's not because they don't care or they're trying. And, I, and you might love them. You might have been blessed in some way, enriched by them. Um, but they're doing it because they care. They care. They're warning you, warning you of what you're about to, to do or what you are doing. Lastly, we must make sure that we are fellowshipping with the faithful. Fellowshipping with the faithful, you know Hebrews chapter ten says, "Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but encouraging one another, meeting together more and more as we see the day approaching." The idea in that passage, and I didn't quote it verbatim, but the idea there is, is that we are fellowshipping together, we are hearing the word of God preach, and it's in essence cleaning our windows, our spiritual windows. It's like it's getting warm outside, right? You know one of the things I hate about it getting warm, bugs. I hate bugs hate it. Especially driving. If you're driving like on 30, you're out going out to Hinkley or Big Rock, going out to Dairy Joy or whatever. And when you get done, there's so many different dead bugs on your windshield. It's disgusting. And then you spray it and then it makes them even worse. You got to get out of the car, go to the gas station, get that squeegee thing that's never good. It smells like awful. I don't know what it is they put in there. But it cleans the window. Right? See, see that 's why it 's not a good thing, but it cleans it see that 's what we need to do is we need to put that pressure and take that spiritual squeegee of god 's word and when that 's what other believers come along and help clean us keep us clean that way to keep our spiritual windows clean that we can hear and discern what God is trying to say to us that we 're staying sharp that we 're being sharp for the glory of God because we can easily be deceived all of us can all of us can now um, I want to conclude this message because this message is very, actually a very personal message for me. Um, in 1979, um, there was a man who got connected with Kenneth Copeland. And Kenneth Copeland w- had said that um, if you, you know, you don't need it, God wants you to be healthy. And you, but you need to have faith. Always comes back to that, faith. But they, they abuse faith. And they say, if you, you have must believe God for healing, and you can't doubt, because if you doubt, then it won't the healing won't last. So they said, which I don't see Jesus ever doing that. Go away. Go by the way, I healed you and you were blind and now you see. But if you quit believing that, you're gonna be blind again. You see the guy going, I can see. <laughs> He's not doubting it. And yet this guy said, You need to have faith. And he said, God doesn't want you to be sick. He wants you to be healed. He, he wants you to have good health. And he doesn't want you to go to the doctor because that's not faith. He wants you to rely on him and him alone. So the guy did. And then he said to him, uh, basically, if you have an insurance, that means you still don't have faith. So you've got to get rid of your insurance. You've got to believe God for this. So he gets rid of his insurance. He was really, But he, he got more and more and more sick. Finally, he's like, this isn't right. He goes to the doctor. The doctor says, You have lung cancer. You have lung cancer. Matter of fact, you had lung cancer, but you didn't come here quick enough, and now it has spread to your brain. Spread to your brain. And he was diagnosed in August 1979, and he died February 8th, 1980, and that was my dad. Fault teaching is destructive. I have seen it ruin lives. I have seen it destroy churches. False teachers are spiritual terrorists. Don't play around with them. It will destroy your life. Turn to Jesus and Him alone. Go to the Word of God. When in doubt, ask a pastor, ask an elder, ask, you know someone who's a more mature believer? Because Satan wants to destroy, and he wants you to have your best life now. (laughs) Because he's going to have a lot more fun when you're suffering with him later. Actually, it'll be terrible for him as well. So we need to make sure that we are going to God, we are running to him, making sure that we're not being taken away from our pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And that if you're here today, and maybe you've heard false gospels and false teachers, let me tell you the good news, because the Bible says that the gospel is good news. That Jesus came to save sinners, to seek and to save the lost, to take those who are in rebellion to him, that are under his wrath, that he gave himself for you and me. That he was crucified for us, that he took our sins upon himself, that he suffered the wrath of God, that he was our substitute, that he died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, he rose the third day, and that now he, he ascended into heaven after 40 days being seen by many different people where he is waiting for the consummation of his kingdom. And he has promised to save those who come to him in repentance and faith. Not seeking their best life now, but seeking to be right with Almighty God. And then he will give them life, abundant life, eternal life, but peace in the here and now. Peace with God, peace with one another, and peace with ourselves. And that he gives us a new purpose and a new way of living, but he forgives our sins and no longer holds them against us. Many of us in this room have a lot of pasts. We know that we are slaves to our sin, but God promises to free and transform those who come to him in repentance and faith for his glory and their joy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, this is a hard passage for us. I know in many of this room that have loved some of these teachers and been nourished by them. But Lord, I pray that you show us clearly and continue to show us as we go to your word and we see the fruit of their ministries. Lord, we want to be completely devoted to you. And Lord, please show us how we are to live according to your word and, and the joy that we might have in you. And Lord, please uh, help us to have sp- discernment wisdom prudence as we hear other people talk about you may we always go to the word of god seeing for ourselves uh, being good bereans for your glory lord for those that are still caught that are still listening to these spiritual terrorists lord i pray that you convict them of their sin and show them the depth of your love that uh, that is a totally different gospel and help us to embrace you the lord of glory And we pray your blessing on us as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.